You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I am Luke Gorsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. If you would like to follow us on social media, we are there, at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and and Facebook. If you like what you're listening to, then feel free to subscribe or follow the show on whatever platform you're using to listen, whichever of those two options is applicable to you. And if you're on iTunes, please leave us a, uh, a five-star rating and review. Those really help out. Guys, we're coming off the bye week uh, to talk about the Titans. Um, you know, it is funny. I was saying to you guys before the show, after like last Wednesday, which is I think when I posted uh, last week's episode, I like totally shut down from Titans for the rest of the week. Like that part of my brain was just off, and I feel like I'm dusting off the cobwebs because I'm like, what is there to talk about today? Yeah, this has been for me. This has been a weird season. Just it, the, <laughs> it, the team has been all over the place. I've kind of I kind of gave up on them. Uh, I just I went all in on, on getting a good pick, uh, but uh, but I was very premature with that uh, decision in, in my own in my own mind. And the Titans are are right in it, man. They're right in the thick of the playoff race right now. And even though they are, I still can't get amped. I can't like get excited. I don't know if it's like the midseason quarterback switch that kind of threw everything off. I don't know if it's because the Titans have been so hit or miss or or or, or uh, one of those things but it, it's been a really weird season for me uh for a lot of us really and uh but but i think this was a good weekend 
good weekend to just kind of take a break, see other teams be absolutely terrible at football in a variety <laughs> of different ways. And uh, yeah, uh, now let's uh, now I'm ready to gear up for this stretch run. It is it is strange because, you know, we're probably watching the most consistent Titans offense or at least the you know most productive Titans offense and over a four week stretch that we've seen since Mario to 2016, like since everybody was getting sold that he was going to be a franchise quarterback. I mean, it's a top 10 offense just in terms of production over the last four weeks. So, you know, you would think that with that comes excitement, but I don't know if it's because we haven't blown anybody out or because the Titans like get in these situations where they're either up early and let people come back or they have to have these miraculous finishes or whatever. But it just, it just feels like the record isn't indicative of, you know, the emotion and what we've seen on the field. And part of that's because the defense is kind of, you know, nosedived in the last two weeks and we haven't seen a complete game since Cleveland in week one. And it looks like that was more of a product of what Cleveland is than what Tennessee was. So it, it is, it is really interesting, but like you said, it was good to kind of see the Texans fall on their face and like the chiefs not look good in prime time and all these other teams that it's like, man, I wish the, uh, I wish the Titans were this, like, I wish I could root for this team. And then you sit back and watch, and it's like, okay, maybe the grass isn't always green on the other side. Like, maybe, you know, these teams also hit these lulls, and they're not always super fun and exciting to watch. So that was kind of nice to see. Let's talk about the playoff picture. You, you sort of brought that up, Matias, and you're right. The Titans are right in the thick of it, as, as Rich Eisen would say. Uh, they're sniffing it. And uh, <laughs> here's the thing, though. The, the Titans totally sort of control their own destiny at this point. They're not at the point where, well, this has to happen for this team to lose. And, like, the teams that are ahead of them in the AFC playoff race, the Colts, the Texans, and the Raiders, those are three of the four teams ahead of them. They play all three of those teams, and they play the Texans twice. And the Steelers, who are one spot ahead of them, have Mason Rudolph at quarterback. Um, So... Like, after that Miles Garrett thing, I saw a great tweet where it was like, the NFL should make it up to Pittsburgh by suspending Mason Rudolph. <laughs> but, uh, so, I mean, the Titans are certainly in it, and here's sort of the uh, the outlook. We know who the one and two seeds are going to be. It's probably going to be Baltimore, New England. And then beyond that, you've got this, this uh, grouping of Houston, Buffalo, Kansas City, and Indianapolis. Uh, the lat- Houston and Indianapolis both at six and four, both on the Titans' schedule. Titans at five and five. Oakland also at six and four, but loses a tiebreaker uh, because I believe they lost to the Colts, uh, which is why they don't have that that uh, that tiebreaker. So they're certainly still in it. I guess is is the point of looking at this picture. It's not like maybe this point last year where you're saying, well, they got to win every game the rest of the season, and all these teams have to lose their games. No, the the biggest thing going against them right now is is their conference record, probably. But like you said, uh, uh, well, you didn't say it, but uh, I think five of the final six games are against conf- uh, against AFC teams, AFC teams. So, I mean, yeah, it kind of is in their own hands. Uh, the problem is this team has been so so hot and cold. You really don't you really don't know what team you're going to get over these final 
six games, but and the fact that a lot of them are still division games uh, kind of scares me because they have not been good in the division in, in a really long time, uh, and especially under Vrabel. I, I don't think they've been very good with this season in particular. Uh, we'll see how they come out this week. Uh, I, I'm expecting them to play well against the Jaguars. The Jaguars have looked uh, pretty terrible their last two games, so this should be a game where the Titans get a W, uh, and, and kind of continue that 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 playoff push, like you said, the teams in front of them they're they're not good. Like like the Bills have have played no one, but but they've they've beaten these these bad teams, so they've put themselves in really good position at seven and three. The Texans and the and the Colts are both six and four, but they they really do have a lot of flaws. The Steelers have probably like a I I don't even know how to how to had a class of Mason Rudolph. He's like the 50th best quarterback in, in the NFL. He's, <laughs> he, he's, he's absolutely terrible. So they can't, they, they will not, they will not be in the playoffs. And then you have the Raiders that are just such a weird, really weird team. I don't think they're good at all. Their defense is atrocious. Uh, they have a good running game and Derek Carr is probably having one of his, his best seasons, but that defense is, 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 is going to keep them from, from actually make things happen. So, I think the Titans are in a good position. It's really going to come down to whether they can put it all together following the bye week. And unfortunately, I can't put a lot of confidence uh, in in thinking that that they will have done that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm in the same boat with especially the Raiders, just talking about those teams. Like, Derek Carr is ultra-efficient, but they don't seem good. But it also seems like a game the Titans could lose. Uh, there's there's so many games on the schedule where I look and I see I'm like okay on paper the Titans are better than the Jaguars like it's just on paper that's what I see I can't you know our strengths or their weaknesses that should work but I've seen this team do this year in and year out no matter who the coach is no matter who the quarterback is you're the better team you have a terrible game plan and your players don't come to play and you lose a key game and then at the end of week 17, you're left thinking, man, I really wish uh, the Titans would have beat Buffalo or, you know, insert team here. So, you know, on paper, it's a difficult schedule just on wins and losses. But, I mean, the Colts don't look as strong as they were earlier. The The Raiders are, you know, questionable if we're just talking about teams that we should be able to beat. Jacksonville is not exceptionally talented. Like, the, there's wins on the schedule, especially if, the Titans play the way they have the last two weeks and then play better defense. But, you know, like we've said, inconsistency is it really forces you to wait until week 17 to make get any sort of hopes up for a potential playoff run. And I think the biggest obstacle, like you guys alluded to, is they don't win in the division under Mike Vrabel. They just mm-hmm. don't. Well, Windless against the Colts, one and two against Houston. And they are 2-1 and one against Jacksonville. And we'll get more into Jacksonville a little bit later because that's who they play this week. But And this sort of leads into the first topic I had written down for us to talk about, and it's that the Titans control their own destiny and that they play four of the five teams that are ahead of them right now. Uh, but in that, you have to execute. And the time is now... To do that, we keep hearing from them all this stuff about we got to get better and we got to do this and we can't do this anymore and the technique and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I know they're coming off of a win and I know we're still being hard on them, but it's like 
now is when you need to show the the stuff you've been talking about. It needs to stop being talk. It needs to become action. And now is when that needs to happen. Not two weeks from now when you lose, you know, two straight, let's say, to the, the Colts and the Jaguars and you're kind of hanging by a thread and you still say, well, we might still have a chance of – just go and beat the snot out of your two division opponents and take care of it yourself. So the saving grace is probably that Tannehill hasn't even played a division game yet. So a lot those two losses came against Mariota, uh, came with Mariota at the helm earlier this year, uh, and then all, all those other ones that are able were with Mariota. Um, I, I don't know if Gabbert. No, no, Ga- Gabbert played uh, Week 17 against the Colts, so one of them was with Gabbert. But I mean, the, the offense has has definitely been better with Tannehill. So I, I think we have a better chance in these division games than we might have had uh, in these first two first two division games earlier in the year and also the, the division games uh, last year. Uh, but it just, I don't know, this, this team seems to have some sort of weird mental block when it comes to the division. Uh, I, I feel like it's been that way for, for such a long time. And I'd like to think it's going to change, especially uh, in this game because it's at home. The Jaguars are coming off a, a game in which they got absolutely destroyed by the Colts. Uh, the Titans are coming off a bye week. They should be prepared. They should be fresh. Uh, they should have a good game plan going into the game. Uh, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what Arthur Smith draws up against a defense that is, has really uh, underachieved uh, lately, especially since they lost uh, Jalen Ramsey. So, yeah, th- I mean, I, I don't know. They, they should be better in these division games with Tannehill just because he's kind of stabilized the offense a little bit. So if the defense kind of gets back to to the way they played in the two division games from earlier in the season, I, I don't see a reason why, why they shouldn't win these next two games coming up against the Jaguars and the Colts. Yeah, I mean, if we're looking at reasons for optimism, there's probably three that stand out more than anything else. The, the first is it looks like they finally realized that Derrick Henry needs to get the ball more and not in like dumb swing pass kind of ways, like in running between the tackles and then running off tackle and setting stuff up like that. Um, There's the fact that, you know, you get back, uh, and this may be two and three, I guess, but you get back Jeffrey Simmons and Taylor Lewan, neither of which played uh, in the first matchup with either of those teams, and both of which are probably the best player on their respective lines at, at, at either given time. So, I mean, that should be very helpful and beneficial. So, I mean, those are both good things. You know, you, you hope that you continue to see more from Henry and that, you know, they ride him and they don't go back to the game script. They've gone for the majority of the season, which is like a split backfield. And you hope that Jeffrey Simmons, you know, got even, you know, healthier and got more rest and got, you know, kept his cardio up and all that during the bye week. And you, you hope all that fits together. But I mean, they they have the team to win these next two games for sure. Like it's just whether the coaches can you know draw up the right game plans. Which I, I don't I don't think e- any of us think that Mike Vrabel is the better of the two coaches when the Colts play. Like Frank Reich is oh, yeah. is the superior coaching mind. Like he just understands football better offensively and potentially defensively. Like. It just seems like, you know, every, and part of that may be his defensive coordinator. I think his name is like Eberfluss or something. It's Matt Eberfluss, yeah. Yeah, like who's, who's a really good defensive coordinator. But 
you know, whatever it is, their coaching staff as a whole is better than the Titans coaching staff. So that'll be its own issue when, you know, they play again. But just in terms of like versus Jacksonville, like I think across the board, you feel pretty confident in what you have. And if y'all are both trying to be the same team, I think the Titans have the edge in several areas personnel wise. It's just whether or not you can rein in Arthur and just be like, look, we're not going to throw a sixth screen to Deion Lewis. Like we've got to get him out of there. Like, well, I mean, t- to his credit, Deion didn't get any touches last week. Well, to his credit, it also came a week after everybody was like, "Why? Like, what's going on?" And then he said, "Well, I'm in the offensive like yeah. uh, coaching room. Like, I, I'm I'm helping with the game plans too." And then as soon as he put his name to it publicly, things changed, which. You know, if, uh-huh. if that's the way it is going forward, great. But, you know, it was also a time when it seemed like the ship was going down and he was like, well, you know, I'm going to step in. And it's, so I don't know. We'll see if that continues. I well, don't have hopes. And I'm glad you guys brought up the Tannehill thing because, Matthias, you, you as we opened the show said, you know, you're just not excited anymore. Here is one thing that I think would, and if not would, at least should, bring the excitement back and it's the Tannehill factor right Tannehill is three and one as the Titans starter he's won three out of four games that he started and the one game was a total dud from pretty much everyone but him so my thinking is sitting here right now as an observer if they come out this week against the Jaguars and I'm not saying it has to be a blowout, but if they just they they play good football and win the game, then I think you can kind of start to think if you're a Titans fan, like, you know, okay, you know, with Marcus, this team couldn't get off the ground, and as long as Arthur Smith doesn't kind of screw it up, I mean, they have a chance, and and that that may be a big if, you know, sort of everything continuing to go as well as as they have for Tannehill so far. Uh, but he's undefeated at home, and you got three home games left on the schedule. So, I mean, I think if you're the Titans to sort of close out this discussion, you have to, number one, like where you are. You know, it was a rough start with Mariota, but you made the quarterback change, and it's gone well for you. But at the same time, you have to be thinking to yourself, it's not going to be easy to finish it out, and and they have to really step up to the plate if they want to do that. Yeah, I definitely think Tannehill gives Titans fans a, a reason for optimism. And it, it, yeah, it might not be the sexiest or most exciting games uh, from him for, for, from a from a from a performance perspective every single week, but it seems like he's good enough to at least give you a chance to win uh, in pretty much any game. The the Panthers game was I don't know. I, I actually didn't even watch that game. I was in I was in a different country during that during that weekend, uh, thankfully. But I just had a feeling <laughs> going into that game, you, you just had a feeling the Titans had come off two wins that they weren't fluky per se, but they definitely weren't convincing. Uh, and going to Carolina is, is is always a tough game. It it just felt like that was going to be. A, a poor performance. He, even he, you could kind of just kind of just tell. Uh, and then that Chiefs win was that Chiefs win was awesome. That was uh, even though the Chiefs might not be as good as they were last year um, as an overall team. And Mahomes was uh, a little bit rusty. He missed a good amount of throws, even though he still threw for like four hundred forty six yards or whatever it was. He he definitely left a lot of plays on the field. Uh, it was just 
an amazing performance from Derrick Henry, and, and then that final drive from Tannehill, it it just it, it gets you excited. But it's just we've seen this team make have these wins, and then they just either collapse completely, or no, yeah, no, that's it. They just collapse <laughs> completely. That's yep. kind of what happens. There is no second option. Yeah, so it's like. I can't give them the benefit of the doubt, even though these last four games with Tannehill have been a, a huge improvement over what we saw earlier in the season and even over what we saw at times last season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so a little bit of both sides. It kind of reminds you of last year where during the bye week, everybody started looking ahead and saying, okay, like, you know, we've got to win – the next two games, the Dallas and New England game, or else we're going to go ahead and tank. Like, we're just going to go ahead and be done with the season. And they won those games because they had to, and then they immediately followed those up with losses to the Texans and Colts. And you kind of make – you're kind of – not you specifically, but I think the fan base is trying to guard themselves against, okay, well, all they've got to do is beat Jacksonville, and then they've got to beat the Colts and the Texans, like, one out of two. It's like, yeah, but – until they beat the Colts and Texans, like in a game where you don't have to have Derrick Henry running Wildcat and all that kind of stuff, like and, and a fake punt for a touchdown, like until you win those games with this coaching staff, you're just never going to be confident in this team because we've seen them need to win these games so many times only to lose and it be the difference in them making the playoffs or not. So, I mean, they definitely control their own destiny. It's just you know, can they overcome this, you know, past of constantly losing to these teams? Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I had a good point, but I got so depressed talking about the bad point that I, that I oh, oh, no, no, sorry. I remember it. Uh, what I was going to say is it feels like if there's one thing that Arthur Smith should be doing this week is he should be figuring out a way to get AJ Brown on the field more. And AJ Brown is, on pace to break the Titans' rookie receiving record, which Kenny Britt holds. It's over just over 700 yards. But the point is that there's no reason from here on out that A.J. Brown doesn't play 90-plus percent of the snaps. We saw him do it from a conditioning level against the Chiefs. So now it's just to the point of, okay, like, he's due for a big game. He's due for one of those, you know, four-catch, 125-yard and a touchdown type games. It's just whether he's getting covered by Boye or whether Corey Davis is getting covered by Boye. Here's a, a quick question I have to sort of set up another discussion. Uh, just answer, answer yes or no. Your explanation will be intuitive in your answer. Is there a situation where if you are in charge of the Titans, you don't fire Arthur Smith at the end of the season? I mean, like if they win the Super Bowl, would you still fire Arthur Smith? Uh, no. I mean, yeah. Uh, like, not okay. if they win. <laughs> yeah, if they win the Super Bowl, no. Okay, so let's bring it down a notch. Win a playoff game. He's fired. Okay. What about you, Matias? I don't know. I don't know. I think so. I think so, but it's been better, hasn't it? The it last was better weeks. for one week. But, I mean, two weeks ago not... was the Derrick Henry two carry game. Yeah, like oh, it, God, you're right. Sorry, the, his his issues are not like that. He hasn't improved. Well, I, mean, I, any, I, I don't want us to get into this long Arthur Smith okay, discussion because yeah. we we know how we feel about that. Our our listeners know how we feel about that. So here's sort of my question: is mm. the reason I prefaced it with what would you do is if we would kind of lean toward if they win a playoff game, eh, I'd still fire him, even though it's kind of iffy. What do you think they'll do? 
I don't think he's getting fired. Regardless, Even like, if, what if what if they miss the playoffs? I don't think he's getting fired. That is that is depressing to so, hear. So 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 here's do here's you guys the, think he's going to get fired? No, but here's my argument for doing it. I'm not going to talk about how bad he is. I'm, I'm going to talk about this. So we may have mentioned <laughs> this last week on the the bye week show. We may not have, but if you're wanting an offensive overhaul and you're Mike Vrabel or John Robinson, what exactly are you going to overhaul? Not going to overhaul your receivers because the top three receivers next year are going to be the same as this year. It's going to be Humphreys, AJ Brown, and Corey Davis. And you might even re-sign Tajay Sharp, and he might still be the fourth guy. Who are you changing on the offensive line? Left tackle, left guard, and center are going to be the same. Right guard, do you draft someone else, sign a free agent to get rid of Nate Davis this early into his career? Do you go somewhere outside of Jack Conklin, Dennis Kelly at right tackle? Uh, running back is more than likely going to be the same. It's going to be Henry. They're going to resign him, I would guess. Tight end is going to be the same. It's going to be Jonu Smith. And you know what? The quarterback's probably going to be the same. If this keeps going, it's probably going to be Tannehill. So where exactly is the offensive overhaul going to come from if none of the players outside of maybe two offensive linemen are going to change? So it could come from the second running back position. Obviously, Deion Lewis is not the answer. Yes. and We need a more dynamic pass catcher. Uh, like you said, right guard is an issue. So they could identify that as a potential free agent, um, free agent pickup. Uh, I mean, I agree. The overhaul should come from the offensive coordinator. I just don't think that they're actually going to make that move. It, I mean, it, and, and, it, and last week's game, to your point, Matias, because it was so good, it makes you forget that it was an anomaly. Like, that was the one game where the Titans didn't just sort of, of stumble course. to a win. Like, that was the one game where the offense was actually efficient and matched Patrick Mahomes toe-to-toe. Well, most they did the time, have a defensive turnover for a touchdown. Yeah, yes, but most of the time they just kind of stumble around to a win, and and last week certainly didn't feel like that. Well, and uh, I mean, if Derrick Henry didn't go absolute beast mode, I I mean, we'd be having the same discussion that we had all yeah, season I mean, about the offense. I guess it is pretty easy to just call inside zone to Henry and watch him run 68 right? yards. Like, yeah, in November. Yeah, the like, problem is I, I think they're going to hang their hat on these games with Tannehill. And especially if it continues to be like an average offensive season overall, uh, I think they're going to hang hang their hat on this and be like, "Look, we went, once we made the quarterback switch, the offense kind of got some stability, and and it, and it was actually good enough to to win games and compete with some of the better offenses in the league." Yeah, um, I, and I can see that argument. Yeah, I don't agree with it, but I think that's what they're going to yeah. that's what yeah. they're going to argue. That's 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 exactly continuity, what I was baby. Yeah, as I was going to say, like, okay, like, if you're Arthur Smith, how do you defend your job? And that's exactly what he's going to say. And I think the organization wants to hear that answer. And as soon as he checks that box, they'll say, okay, you know, welcome back. I think it's a bad idea. I think I, not only do I think it's a bad idea for 2020, I think it's bad for the next four years. Because it, Arthur Smith does not understand what he what, – people say he understands he doesn't understand how to call games he's got no he doesn't change he has no variables to his no and he and he also doesn't understand his personnel which was his big selling point um he i mean he constantly puts his players in bad positions Uh, nobody's executing efficiently like his play calls are bad so the things he like the essence of an offensive coordinator are all the things he's getting wrong so you've got to think okay 
this draft is going to be where the Titans find their quarterback of the future, and they're going to use Tannehill as a bridge quarterback because they're not going to sign him to a big, long deal based off of an eight-game stretch you know, where he beat up on some bad teams early and then, you know, whatever happens next. But it might get him a two- or three-year deal for a lot of money that's not guaranteed at the end of, you know, a year or two or whatever. But are you going to do the same thing you just saw screw up Mariota in that you're going to go ahead and get keep a bad offensive coordinator and then fire him a year into your rookie quarterback's, you know, career? All you're doing is setting yourself back for the future. There, there is no solution where keeping Arthur Smith is the right answer. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you there, Will. I think that's probably the argument to make against him. Uh, something else I want to talk about before we get into a, a sort of bigger topic, and that's the quarterback position moving into next year for the Titans. There's a potential for them to get a couple of starters back this week that they've been missing for a while. Uh, Vrabel said on Monday that he's hopeful to have two of four of those players back. He did not say which ones. Uh, This is coming out on Wednesday morning, so we will learn Wednesday afternoon, perhaps, by who practices. Uh, But you have the potential to get Jarrell Casey, Corey Davis, Jayon Brown, uh, and or... I was hoping that saying and or... Delaney. Yeah, Delaney. Delaney. So, if you... Since since Vrabel only gave the two of four thing, who would be the two that you would pick from those four? Mine would be uh, Jayon and Jarrell Casey. I those are my those were my two also. Uh, it should be Jay. Well, sorry, it should, not. It should be you're going for your boy uh, Corey Davis, aren't you? Mine, would, mine would be Jayon and Corey Davis. Why? What does he do? Why? What does Jarrell Casey do? Did you see mm. Christian McCaffrey without him out there? Did you see Damian mm. Williams without him out there? D- that's f- first off. Didn't Casey play versus the Panthers? No. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. Well, either either way, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, it, that's how much of a non-factor it's been this season. Like, I just yeah. I don't know. Like. I'm I'm not going to spend this time talking about Jarrell Casey like it, and the fact that I don't think he's having a good year. But you have to have Jayon Brown because he's he does everything for that defense. He's like, and Woodyard is is yeah, and he's so washed. So yeah, washed. it's like yeah. So like well, David Long is kind of the preferred option, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's so. good. He's just not. He just doesn't have enough sand to like make tackles all the time because he weighs like 210 pounds. Like he's always around the ball and he causes that forced fumble. But like. God, it, it is tough watching those replays of Eckler just dusting Woodyard and then, like, him in space just not – and Rashawn is not a ton better. Like, he, he is better, like, but he does so much else that's good. Like, his ability to, like, diagnose and attack the run is so exceptional. And, like, his ability to rush off the edge if they ever wanted him to, which I think he took a couple snaps last week where he did it um, – and then, like, just to do kind of whatever they need him to do in the front seven other than cover a tight end down the seam, like, he can do all that. So that's fine that he can't do everything. But that's why he and Jayon are perfect complements to each other. So you need that other half. And then if 
if you're the Jaguars, you're praying that Corey Davis doesn't play because you're going to put A.J. Boye on A.J. Brown like you did last week, like you did in the first matchup, and Boye is too physical for A.J. Brown, and then it, now it doesn't matter because it's Ex- just excuse like— Excuse my ignorance, but who is their third—was their third corner when Ramsey was there? Hayden, DJ Hayden, I think. Is he any good? That was last year. Oh, no, oh. Cole Colvin was last year. Yeah, right? actually, actually, he was yeah. with Houston for a little while. I think they cut him then. Oh my God, you're right. DJ Hayden's their cornerback. Yeah, what's up? I uh, just randomly knew that. Um, is yeah, he so, terrible? Uh, yeah, I think he, I think he is not great. Um, but you know, I, I if I told you I watched their third corner a bunch, or if I watched who'd been taken over for Jalen Ramsey, I would be lying. I, I just have not yeah. watched them that. Close. And and we'll get more into the Jaguars in, in a little bit. Uh, before we do that, though, there's a topic I want us to discuss, and that's what is the ideal quarterback situation? If everything works out for the Titans, what is the ideal quarterback situation for 2020? We're going to discuss that in just a second. First, you're going to hear a quick word for, from, for 30 seconds from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to get into that conversation. Okay, so ideal quarterback uh, situation for the Titans heading into next season, I think is potentially made easier, as much as I hate to say it, by the Tua Tungavailoa injury. Because I think there's a chance that he slides down the board a little bit. So, uh, before we get into, you know, how much would you trade for him or how many picks would you get, I'll just go ahead and, and open the floor to... What do you think is the ideal scenario? Because I think the ideal scenario would be the Titans get uh, Tungo Vailoa in the first round and uh, uh, also franchise tag Ryan Tannehill. We can get into why later, but... I mean, the ideal scenario is we somehow get Joe Burrow in the draft. Well, okay. But... Yeah, I mean, I mean, the <laughs> I ideal you're going to say maybe, that. Maybe Realistic. I get, get Tom Brady to be the bridge quarterback. The, the ideal scenario is the Chiefs <laughs> trade them uh, Patrick Mahomes for Deion Lewis. Like, right. Say right. The, I, the ideal go. realistic yeah. scenario. Okay, so I think something that could happen is we make a trade into the top 10 and maybe get the third best quarterback in the draft. Uh, which would I assume I, I haven't looked at quarterbacks, but I assume it's going to be probably Justin Herbert. Um, he's he's uh, he's a guy that that uh, that will likes. I, I like him too from what I've seen of, of his. Um, I've only seen him in passing in, in games uh, throughout the years, but he has a really good resume. Uh, he's done it for several years. The fact that he comes from Oregon means absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter that he comes from the same school as Mariota. They're completely different quarterbacks. Um, so I think that's probably the ideal scenario. We swing a trade into the top 10, maybe the 10th pick, uh, somewhere around that area and, and get, uh, get Justin Herbert. Matias, Justin, don't, Justin, don't you dare, uh, disbar this fake bad bias that exists. Yeah. This, this weird take where everybody's like, Herbert sucks. I mean, like Herbert may not translate to the next level, but the tape he puts out is not bad. Like, I mean, he is functioning in the offense that they have him, you know, playing in very well. So I, I, I don't, I don't know where any of that comes from. He's, he's accurate. So, um, I think Herbert ends up in Miami though. I think it's going to go, if everything stands how it is now, I think Joe Burrow goes one and I think Miami goes like, uh, with, uh, Herbert at like four. And I saw, I saw, I saw yeah. a rumor that I can't remember who it was from, 
but that uh, last year Miami wanted yeah, Herbert, and then and and no, you know, it, it was like a national media person. Hey, is it Tony Pauline? Because he's I, I, been saying I can't it remember, for a while. But, but Miami actually wanted Herbert last year, and just kind of freaked out when he wasn't there. And so I don't know that they're. I mean, they were probably tanking for Tua, but it, it might become because of the health thing. I mean, I don't know. It's far too early now, but. I think Tua Tungabailoa was on the table for the Titans, and he wasn't five days ago. Yeah, like mm. uh, the the last thing about the Miami stuff, like the rumors were that their owner and like GM were going out to watch him practice in like October, like super early into the season. They loved him. They loved his body Tua of work. Tungabailoa or no, 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 no. This was this was Herbert last year. Okay, like it was like it was like right when he was coming back from his injury. Like they were up there, and then they went and saw like watched him. It, it was like as early as you could possibly like see him uh, after his injury. Like they were there, and they were you know super high on him. Th- those are the rumors that like they were going to take him and trade up to do it and whatever they had to do to get him. So those were the rumors last year. So if if you take into account that Herbert's had a better season this year than last year, or at least it's been equal. Um, then you're thinking, okay, if two has got health concerns with three decently major injuries in the last 12 months and Burrow's going number one, do we think the Dolphins are more likely to A, pass on quarterback completely, B, take the guy they were in love with for, you know, 12 months last year and, you know, still could probably like now, or C, take a chance on Tua? I think they lean towards B and they just take Herbert with the top pick that they have because they've won two games now. So they won't be picking first or second. So, I mean, they're not really in a position to take chase. They they have another pick in front of us. They have the Steelers pick. I'm assuming they're going to draft the quarterback with one of the two. But they won't draft two. So no, 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 no. So, like, I think they that would be that would be galaxy brain. Yeah, that would be that would be insane. But (laughs) I think they end up with Herbert, and I think you're left with, a, you know, if they pick at four, then I think whoever picks right below the Dolphins, there's going to be a mad scramble for everybody either trying to trade up for two if he's like moderately healthy or whatever, or uh, people trying to trade into the top ten to get Herbert. So I think the I think the ideal scenario is that uh, Tua is cleared medically and that he's fine but that the three injuries scare away Miami and scare them into a person that they loved for the last 16 months at that point. Uh, and they take Herbert and then the Titans capitalize on all this and get the guy who everybody thought was the top quarterback in the draft before the season and, you know, a generational talent. And they go ahead and jump up and get him at five or seven or 10 or whatever. And only have to give up a second and a third or something like that to do it. So let's, let's take more than that, right? Well, okay, so well, I, that's what I wanted to hit on is from the Titans' point of view. Number one, how far would Tua have to slide before you're wanting to trade up for him? And number two, what what's the most you would give? So, so I I have reservations about Tua. I've had them since since the off season. See, I like him a lot. No, I, I like him. I, I really do. This this isn't like. I don't like him because he's Hawaiian and Mariota was Hawaiian. This this isn't this isn't that. I just, I just, I just, yeah. I'm a state. <laughs> no, it's just that when I've seen some of his games on film because I'm watching other draft prospects, 
he's just he makes a lot of decisions that are kind of baffling, and I've seen them ha- pop up over over the over a couple of seasons. Um, also, this is going to sound ridiculous, but the fact that he's a lefty is actually it kind of concerns me because it look around the league, there are like no lefty quarterbacks. I know Michael Vick was fantastic, um, but you have to totally change um, your offensive scheme to account for a lefty quarterback. Also, uh, the blind side turns into the right tackle, so it kind of it kind of just throws everything off. I don't think that's a reason to not. Yeah, take... you've been on him on that for a while. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's enough uh, enough concerns to 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 not take um, a guy with the resume and the talent of Tua um, very high. Um, but and, I'm and just you know, not... to that point. It is perhaps an interesting time to to quickly have the discussion like. Who are the the good left-handed quarterbacks that there have been? I mean, the first two that come to my mind are Steve Young and Michael Vick. And Steve Young's a Hall of Famer, and Michael Vick honestly could have been if he didn't go to jail for the dogfighting stuff. And so, like, but then you have, like, Kellen Moore, Tim Tebow. They posted a graphic about this. It's been a while. Yeah, I think it's uh, Jaws. I think think he's the last guy who did it. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. What's his full name? Why can't there, I think of his full Ron name? Ron Jaworski. A lot of, yeah, Ron Jaworski. Yeah, he was a lefty. I didn't know. Yeah, that. I think he has like the most passing yards Man, by a left-handed the last quarterback. Left-handed quarterback. No, 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 no. left-handed. But like, I, I mean, I'm just saying. Like, I think he was the last like good quality starter. Like in right. terms of like, because it's like he, him he and didn't, well, Michael. Steve, Michael Vick was Steve Young didn't played after Jaworski, surely. Right, oh, I, they're like the same age, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they're they're probably contemporaries to each other. Yeah, I just don't I don't think about them in the same time frame. Yeah. Um, also, Bo- I want Boomer Sison, another one. Oh, maybe that's who I'm thinking of. Maybe I'm getting them confused. Um, but what I was going to say uh, is, uh, if you think Arthur Smith would even notice that Tua Tagovailoa <laughs> is left-handed, you're insane. He would have <laughs> no idea. Um, yeah, Dion like, run the run the screens to the other side. <laughs> yeah, that's. Oh no, that's, that's not good. true. He would do the 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 screen where the quarterback spins for no reason. Tannehill did that last week and it worked. Oh God. <laughs> or no, it was against Carolina. It was the one. It was the touchdown to Henry. Was that play? Oh yeah, that's right. That was weird. Okay. Anyway, they ran it like three times in one game with Mariota. I think against <laughs> Buffalo. And yeah. every time they did it, I'm like, what in the world is that? It was. It was brutal. It was yeah. brutal. All right. Anyway, to finish my kind of my talk, uh, I never even answered the question. I kind of just went on that on that left-handed tangent. But so, in my opinion, if you're completely sold on a quarterback, I'm okay giving up probably oh, yeah. your first-round pick this year and then two future first-round picks. That's I, I more than that. I don't think I don't think I could give up more than that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you have to like. You can't so, mortgage your future to do this, right? But I, mean, I don't but think they will because no their roster is really good. Yeah, if you if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a future. So like right. that that is important. Like I mean, but th- there is a ground to be found below sure. the like RG three Jared Goff trades. Well, if okay, so if you look at the last two trades uh, into the top ten from the twenties or below. It happened last year for Devin Bush, and the Steelers gave up um, a second 
I don't even and, think they gave up two ones, did they? No, 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 well, no. But that they, was for a linebacker. So. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, but, you trade, you trade up for who you trade up for. Like just for mm. like. Also, if you look up the Josh Rosen trade, it's not bad either. But yeah, but if there's a quarterback available, the price goes up, right? Well, well yeah, what was the Rosen trade? Well, well, the Rosen trade they only traded up like two spots, right? Um, God, I had these. I think I deleted them the other day. Um, no, hold on, I have it. Uh, Arizona moved up. Arizona moved up five spots from 15 to 10th. It cost a seven, the 79th pick and the 152nd. So what's that, a third round and a fifth round? So the Titans are probably looking at... Well, okay, the, but here's the thing is if you take the position out of it, the last two the last two trades into the top 10 from the 20 range is uh, the Steelers gave up their second that year and a third this year. So that they only gave up their first and second from that year, and then a third from the next year. So that's not much. And uh, look at the Mahomes trade, maybe. Yeah, the is Mahomes that a trade good barometer? The Mahomes trade is a first round pick. Yeah, that that first round pick, and then uh, a third round and a future first. round. Yeah, a third and a future first. Sign so me up. That Sign was me up. Like, and that was from pick like twenty eight or something. Twenty seven, like yeah. That, yeah, they, so yeah, that was way down there. So like you're basically giving up two for like borderline first round picks at that point because really, after and we'll hear about this a week before the draft is how oh this draft the first round is really only seventeen picks long like that's what everybody says when it gets close to the draft. So stupid. Yeah, it's stupid th- it's such that. a stupid thing to say. But I mean, like honestly, we need to devote. Once we get around the draft, we're going to devote an entire Stop the Nonsense segment. Instead of like us each picking you know, a thing, we're just going to make a list of stupid draft cliches. Oh, well, yeah, the, th- like, the 32nd pick is really just a second-round pick. Well, the yeah. 33rd pick is really a first-round pick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the old men that are always talking about the, the pick value. The loose voices are the best. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean... I say I bring all that up to say that at a certain point, if you're trading like a pick anywhere from you know twenty to thirty six or something, apparently, or at least this is what Schefter and everybody else says that the league basically values them the same. Like that, you're not getting any advantage from giving up a you know a high pick in the second round as opposed to a first round pick, but uh, except for the fifth year option, that's the only thing that's important and that only matters for quarterbacks because that's the only position you get value on. So uh, all, all that is important because if you look at the framework of the deals before, there's not people giving up, you know, a first round pick and a first round pick and a first round pick or several high picks. It's usually a first or a first round next year or a second round the current year and then a third round pick. So, like, if you look at it like that, like, that's that's not anything at all, especially if you think you've got a guy in Tua who is not not necessarily Mahomes, but not, you know, entirely different, especially, like, as prospects. Tua is far better than Mahomes was as a prospect. Oh, he yeah. reminds me a little of Deshaun, honestly. Yeah, I think he he's more structured than Deshaun. He's got – Yes, correct. What I, what I love, and this may just be something that it stuck out in my brain, but his intermediate velocity, like how quick he gets the yes. ball out in yes. like the 10 to 20-yard range, especially for this offense, if you're like, okay, we're going to run slants with A.J. Brown and we're going to run crossing routes with Humphreys and then we're going to run like 15 to 20-yard routes with Corey Davis and you're talking about a guy like uh, Tua who's just – the ball just explodes out of his hand in that range. Like 
that that combined with if they keep Henry just as a, like a power runner who demands extra attention before he gets speed, speed built up, like I mean, it would be and if you had a good offensive coordinator, it would be a very difficult offense to stop. Yeah, he's also he's very good at like making things happen in what like when pockets collapse. He's, he's a really good scrambler and he can get out of tough situations. And uh, in addition to that, he is a fantastic deep thrower. Uh, so he's definitely a very good prospect and one that I certainly wouldn't mind trading up into the into the top ten for, as long as long as his medicals check out because they are legitimately scary. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I've never felt more comfortable about trading up for the third, you know, quote unquote third best quarterback in a draft than I have with this draft because. Yeah. Even Herbert, if the price, like, if you only have to trade up to, like, 10 or 12 and, like, you don't have to give up all the, you know, an exorbitant amount of picks, like, I think he can be a good quarterback. I, I think too. I, I think Tua and Burrow probably could be great quarterbacks. I think Burrow has a better chance of being a great quarterback with, a like, higher floor. And I think Tua, because of his medical history, is, like, more up and down. But, like... If I'm like I'm gonna take my shot on a truly elite potential quarterback in Tua or Burrow, or a really good to like good quarterback in Herbert, especially if you put him with a smart like I know I know I keep tagging that, but it's so important to have a coordinator who knows what they're doing with a quarterback. But like, do you have though, a comp for Herbert? Because I feel like he kind of reminds me of Matt Ryan a little bit. Yeah, like kind of. I, I just I think he's I too big. For that. It's so hard to judge yeah, people taller. when they throw like those screens. Like he's like a better version of Derek Carr, but that's not even a good comp. I'm just thinking about their offense, like mm-hmm. because they do throw screens to get away from pressure, which is a good idea. But it's also not like he can't hit the middle of the field, and it's not like when Mariota was there, and that it's like you know he's going to make a couple of reads and then tuck it and run if he wants to, or it's like so much like boot and all that. It's like he can create outside of structure, like that's not yeah. an issue for him, but. It's it's not it's not necessary in the offense they run like it was with Mariota like it's not part of the offense that the quarterback is a running threat. So I don't know it's it, I don't know I, I want to say that some of it is kind of like the offense that they ran at Stanford when Andrew Luck was there like and that it's like there's so many times where I've seen him like hit a tight end and I'm like oh that's a like that's a good play or like hit an intermediate target who's not really a burner I don't, I don't know I need to spend more time and look at that. And and to sort of close this out, this is going to be a really, I, I think, exciting offseason from that perspective. Because, it, yeah, it's one thing to need an inside linebacker and we're discussing should it be Rashawn Evans or Leighton Van Der Esch or, you know, you need a corner and we're saying should it be Tredavious White or Dory Jackson. But, I mean, when you're talking about a quarterback, a, a decision that can literally alter the course of a franchise, it, there are going to be a lot of fun discussions this offseason. Uh, but for now, let's let's look at the Titans' opponent for this week, the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that absolutely smothered them when they met in Week 3 on Thursday Night Football, uh, the first game after which Mike Vrabel was asked about a quarterback change because Mariota uh, was totally dreadful in that game. So here's what I will ask to start out. Uh, do you sort of throw that game out the window and say, Minshew mania, Mariota wasn't good, it was raining, Arthur Smith's third game. Or is there something to, man, the Jags kind of manhandled the Titans in that game, and Josh Allen gave Jack Conklin bits. 
I completely throw it out. One, it was a di- different quarterback on both sides. So the Jaguars were playing with a different quarterback than they will mm. to, uh, this week, and so will the Titans. Two, it was on a Thursday night, a short week, and it on was in Jack on the road. It was like a rainy night also, a, a terrible night. And it was a week after playing the Colts in a really hard-fought game. Uh, that kind of brought up a lot of question marks, and I, I think that might have been the game that Delaney was answering like weird, weirdly in the in the in the post game. Yeah. I think that yeah. was that game. So there was a weird, weird vibe all around going into that game, and then add in all the external factors like the short week on the road, um, and yeah, I, I don't. I would throw it out. I think there's a totally different game. We're coming off the bye, like, like we talked about. The the Jaguars have not been good. Uh, they're playing with a different quarterback, uh, a quarterback who has only played uh, one week. Last week was his was his first week, right? So uh, he he's probably rusty. I think I think this is a totally different game, and I I would really be shocked if the Titans lost this game. But at the same time, I wouldn't because I've seen this story so many times before. Yeah, I I agree with you pretty much completely. Like I. You have to, we've already admitted that there's been a significant uptick in offense when they took Mariota out. Um, also, like like we said earlier, Taylor Lewan's there, which helps the offensive line all the way across. They've also, uh, again, this is a hope that they've gone more like Derrick Henry heavy, and they'll rely more on that. But I mean, it just it feels like a different team the last four weeks since Tannehill took over anyway. And also, like, there's so many things that went wrong in that game. Uh, Jamil Douglas played, which is always the wrong answer. And then Adoree Jackson also had that fumble inside the 10, and then it immediately went for a touchdown, and then the momentum was off from there. And it's already impossible to win those road games on Thursday night football anyway. Like, I mean, we see it maybe once every two weeks or something where an inferior team wins a game at home versus a better team just because – I mean, Tampa Bay beat Cam Newton and – the Panthers early in the season. And, you know, this was in the middle, like right in the middle of the, the Panthers having a great defensive first half of the season. And so it just weird things happen on Thursday night at home. So I, I would just throw it completely out. And I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's invalid. I think Clayus Campbell is still a really good player, but like, I think everything that could have gone wrong outside of injuries went wrong for the Titans. So, uh, I have something that I believe you can sort of translate from that game. But before I get to that, I know trivia was last week, but here's a trivia question. Number one, can you tell me, I I know the answer, I just want to see if you do, what year was the last time that Jacksonville won at Nissan Stadium? That's number one. And number two, who was the starting quarterback for each team? Two thousand. 14? That's a year too recent. Oh, it was 2013? 2013. It's 2013. Wow. Jake Locker started for the Titans. Chad Henney started for the oh, Jaguars. We lost to Chad That was when they were 0-8, right? And they came in and uh, they beat us for their first win of the season? That is correct. Yeah. I remember that game and I was Jake, thinking it was... The ahead. Titans did not get a first down until the second... Until the last play of the first quarter, Jake Locker was four of nine for twenty-four yards before his uh, season ended with a Liz Frank injury. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, Ryan, nice. Fitzpat- Ryan Fitzpatrick in relief was sacked once and completed 22 of 33 passes for 264 and two touchdowns. Classic Fitz, man. Classic. Here's a great stat. Chris Johnson on the Chris Johnson on the ground. 12 yard 12 carries 30 yards. What? He's making Saquon look like a Oh, that was tripling up on or like quadruple. Was that his, what is was that his last season? I remember he was terrible towards the I end. think so, yeah. That was, was terrible. It just him. felt it felt like he was on the team for so long. I mean, it <laughs> felt like he had twenty years with the Titans, and they were like three great ones early, and then it was just like progressively worse and worse and worse. Sean Green nine carries for twenty two yards. Mm. All uh, this to say, so. Maurice Jones Drew wasn't much better. Twenty one for forty one. Uh, all this Terrible to say, game, man. I mean, Full I keep wanting Maurice to move Jones away Drew. from this topic, but there's just so many great stats. Uh, okay, I can move on now. <laughs> All that to say, you know, we'll we'll get into when the Titans start playing Houston, that the Titans haven't won in Houston since New Year's Day 2012. But the Titans kind of have a streak of their own that goes that way against the Jaguars. They have, in this decade, been extraordinarily unsuccessful in Nissan Stadium. I mean, that's that's great. I hope it continues. It's just like... I'm just I'm just so shell shocked thinking about how long it's been since they've won that now it's almost like when you talk about how a kicker hasn't missed a kick in thirty, right. like 30 yeah years. yeah it's like, it's like oh man but then I also remember that every year we hear about the Colts doing that and every year the Titans end up falling flat <laughs> on their face so so here's the thing that I sort of teased as I think you can take away and that's Jacksonville's pass rush because you know there's no more Jalen Ramsey but. You know, A.J. Boye is a really good cornerback. And in that game, the the Thursday night game, he was giving uh, A.J. Brown the business. I mean, he and and Ramsey both, other than the uh, the, the long play to Tajay Sharp, both of them had outstanding games. And that really allowed guys like, in particular, Josh Allen and Calais Campbell to have really good games against a what was then a Lawanless Titans offensive line. But either of those guys... Uh, were on Lawan's side. And so that's what I would be most worried about is Josh Allen in particular is so freakishly talented that he can, if you let him, totally and completely wreck the game. He's that good. Yeah. He's one of those players. Yeah, he almost has, I think he has almost as many sacks as uh, Harold Landry. I'm gonna disregard that, that little snipe. <laughs> <laughs> that little snipe. So I I agree. Their pass rush could wreak havoc, especially if Nate Davis continues to to be really bad at football. But uh, they can't stop the run. They have gotten absolutely destroyed as of late in run defense. Uh, and especially last week, Marlon Mack went off for 109 yards on 14 carries. He got injured. So Jonathan Williams comes in. Um, out of nowhere. I, I didn't even know who's on the Colts. He had 13 carries for 116 yards. As a team, the Colts rushed for 264 yards on 36 carries and three touchdowns. That's over seven yards per carry. So something is going on there. Uh, I think in the Texans game also, uh, was that game in, I, I think that's the game where Carlos Hyde had like a really lo- 
No, I'm completely wrong. Uh, no, no, I'm right. Carlos Hyde went off for 160 yards <laughs> on 19 carries. Uh, against the Titans? No, against no, the no, no, against the Jaguars. The Jaguars. Oh, and, I was because th- Carlos Hyde played for the Jaguars. That's right, why I was okay. thinking that. No, 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 for the Texans. Uh, the the week before before their bye week. Carlos uh, Hyde played for the Texans. Oh my God, Luke, yeah. buddy. They, they have uh, both Browns running backs from two years ago or whatever. They have Duke Johnson and uh, Carlos Hyde. <laughs> my gosh. Anyway, my point. We, we haven't had to play them yet, so Luke does point, not know the roster. The last two games that the Jaguars have played, they've given up nearly 500 rushing yards uh, and four touchdowns. So yeah. their run defense is terrible, and now they have to go up against Derrick Henry, who has historically – well, actually, no. He's kind of had a couple of bad games, but um, he usually just kind of gets up for these Jaguars games. They kind of piss him off, I think. Um, and when he goes beast mode, well, you can't stop him. The game in the rain, I don't remember anything too heroic from Derrick Henry, but these, these two teams match up prior to that was one of the greatest single-game rushing performances right. in the history of the NFL. Exactly, and Derrick Henry's coming off a bye week, and the week before he destroyed the Chiefs' awful run defense. So and it bodes well for the Titans. It bodes well. Yes, like, you know, Derrick Henry at home versus the Jaguars, that's feels like money like it feels like you don't even have to worry about that so and you know henry didn't have a spectacular game against uh jacksonville the in week two or week three sorry uh thursday night football but part of that was because there was that stupid uh tajay sharp holding call on the left side that was like it would have been like a 15 yard gain and then there were so many times where they just loaded the box because they knew, okay, we're going to press, and then we're going to immediately get pied Jamil Douglas. And then at that point, we'll either sack Mariota <laughs> that was, or that was the Henry. Jim, that was the Jamil Douglas 12-and-a-half pro football focus game. <laughs> yeah, and they slated that great. Yeah. <laughs> they were great on some kind of curve. I don't know. But, yeah, so, like, it – that that was such an easy thing to stop. Like, I mean, if you coach a middle school defense, you can say, okay, look, this guy's got no business being on the field. Every time we rush him, he gives up a sack or a tackle for a loss. Let's just keep rushing him and bring everybody close to the line and make sure nothing leaks out. And unless we miss two or three tackles, we're fine. So, and Arthur Smith was shell-shocked. He had no idea. He was like, well, maybe if I run it right at that guy again, it'll work this time. And it obviously didn't. So, I mean – I don't. I don't think that we'll see the same kind of Derrick Henry like fluke bad, not bad, just like underwhelming performance. But you know, like I said, you can't take anything for granted. Yep. Let's close the show out as we always do with our stop the nonsense segment. If you have suggestions, get them to us on Twitter or Facebook. Use the hashtag stop the nonsense. This is where we point out the dumbest, biggest nonsense from the sports world of the past week. Any volunteers to go first? You sure? Yeah, I can. Oh. No, Matias, I mean, why don't you go first? Yeah, you go first, Matias. Okay, mine will be quick. Uh, so in the aftermath of the Miles Garrett incident uh, in that Brown Steelers game, which, by the way, one of the worst games I've ever watched in my life. It actually oh, I didn't, made... I didn't watch that game. Like, it's gotten to where with primetime games, I'm like, mm-hmm. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, Chiefs Eagles. Okay, that's good. Uh, can't watch Rams Bears. I can't do Trubisky. Uh, can't watch Browns Steelers. Can't do Browns. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can't because I'm some sort of masochist and I just have to watch terrible football. So <laughs> that game was horrendous, just from a purely football perspective. And then I actually I I had gone to sleep. Uh, well, not sleep, but like I had gone to bed. I turned off the TV, and then my friend texts me, "Holy expletive!" And I'm like, "What happened?" <laughs> and then I go on, <laughs> I go on Twitter, and my my uh, my timeline broken is loose. just all hell broke loose. Exactly, uh, a bunch of videos of Miles Garrett committing a crime on the field, uh, a t- <laughs> just assaulting Mason Rudolph <laughs> with the helmet. Uh, so that was great. And then Marquise Pouncey came out of nowhere, started kicking Miles Garrett in, in, in the helmet because yeah, that does so much damage. Uh, also punching him in the helmet because that does so much damage. <laughs> also, I can't, I don't understand there was, that. There was a lot of logic being denied in that entire ordeal. Like oh. a, a part of me is like, yeah, if I was, if I was Marquise Pouncey or if I was Mason Rudolph's teammate, I would also like be incredibly upset and go after Miles Garrett. But what does punching a helmet do for you? Nothing. So I, I didn't get that. That that was that was a stop the nonsense in, in and of itself. <laughs> um but then the aftermath uh, of that, just the takes were just absolutely horrendous People the morning after. Minds. I I had to get off Twitter. It was awful. Um <laughs> uh, one of our one of our best fans, Ian from uh I think he's from England. I'm pretty sure he's from England. He's an English guy. Uh, He sends us this uh, Max Kellerman take uh, where he says Mason Rudolph was the one who started the fight, which is is true. Um, But then in the video, he pretty much says that the reaction to Miles Garrett has been hysterical. Uh, I think that's ridiculous. I think it's been kind of warranted. Uh, I do think some people have gone a little overboard. He shouldn't be banned for life. I think that's... That's a little absurd, but is that what Florio said? committed a crime. <laughs> it was a literal crime. Isn't that assault with a deadly weapon? To to yeah, yeah. So uh, they said that a brick weighs five pounds normally, and that a helmet weigh a regulation helmet weighs six pounds. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, like he just swung a brick at a guy in the middle of the field. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't think I don't think people have been hysterical. Uh, when it comes when it comes to these takes, it was an egregious act, uh, and he should be suspended for a really long time. But actually, no, that's it. That's I think I think the line gets blurred in who hysterics when the fake outrage comes into the picture. And there was a lot of this with the with the Kaepernick stuff, and I don't want to get into that all. But like the the lawsuits are ridiculous. Like, but these people acting like. Like, my take on the Miles Garrett thing was like, okay, that was absurd. That was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in an NFL game. He should be suspended because he could have killed the quarterback. Literally, could have killed him. But I'm not going to sit around here, and you two certainly did not, but I saw people acting like they were personally offended by this. Like, how dare he do that to this person I've never met before? Like getting bent out of shape about it. I'm like, and that's yeah. why I, I call fake outrage. It's like, if you actually do care about it, why? And you probably don't care about it, and you're just trying to stir up a reaction on social media. 
Right. Yeah. If if at any part in your tweet or something you say, well, what if my kid was watching? Oh, like, don't even oh get started. Dude, We've had this discussion before, yeah, right? Just where do I not tweet it. I don't understand parents making NFL players the examples for their children. It, Right. I don't know if we've had the full discussion on here, but like it's definitely a point that needs to be. T- I mean, it's such a stupid argument. It's like, what if my it's child so saw that? It's so stupid. Well, it's like, well, hopefully you would say, don't swing <laughs> your helmet and be like the other ninety nine point nine 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 percent of plays that have ever happened in the league history. Yes. Like, I mean. Yeah, but Miles what, Garrett what is, is my child's role model, and he must do whatever Miles Garrett says. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like. like <laughs> It's like I, I had mean, even even like a really like great like example like Mariota like I'm not gonna have to sit my kid down and be like you need to be like Marcus Mariota because he's a good guy like I, I don't know that just seems like a weird yeah but role then model. then Mariota does that and you're like hey hey don't do that that is terrible that is an awful thing to do and what, what what I really don't get is like like Miles Garrett like yeah the the punching Delaney Walker like Miles Garrett's not a criminal like he's just a maybe a dirty player but like when people bring that argument up with people like Tyreek Hill or Pac-Man Jones like they're setting a bad example for the children I'm like what child is looking to these people as an example <laughs> yeah I mean like those people who do criminal activities and are under investigation are bad examples for everyone Yes, like your kid, your kid's not like your kid is special to you or whatever. But like your kid's not special in that case. Like if your kid reads about a Wall Street, like uh, somebody on Wall Street who does something similar, like it's the same thing. Like people are bad. Like people are inherently bad. They do bad things, and that gets talked about. So like just because the you, you know your TV's on the NFL and not you know CNBC or something, like it. I, I don't know that that whole thing drives me a little bit crazy when i when i have kids we're going to every day watch the jerry springer show for examples <laughs> we're gonna watch uh best nfl fights and we're yes. like, look, look at andre johnson do you see how he hit Cortland finnegan like that it's like he's a bad example don't be like him so uh my stop the nonsense for today is vanderbilt football in general and, and it's the ex- <laughs> it, it's it's it, it's top to bottom. It's the athletic it's the athletic director, director Malcolm Turner. It's head coach Derek Mason, and it's the fans defending Derek Mason. Malcolm Turner comes out today on Tuesday and announces with two games left in a season in which I calculate it, Vanderbilt's scoring differential this season is negative two hundred and six. Jeez, comes How out many with games? two games left. So. So 10 games. So they're losing by 20 points a game. Nice. And the athletic director comes out and says he's going to be the coach next year. Not like a, I have full confidence. No, no like he is our coach next season, period. And mm-hmm. so this is a, a day or two after I tweeted um, Vanderbilt – or Vanderbilt said. Uh, Mason said after another disastrous loss for them, I believe to Kentucky at home, uh, that, well, Vanderbilt football just goes in waves. You know, we're just on a down wave right now. <laughs> Like, when what? is there been an upwave? Yeah. What culture are you trying to establish with that as the motto? It's like Malcolm Turner went on the radio last week and, and said something to the degree of, we don't want to settle at Vanderbilt. You know, we know that the uh, the academic requirements are tough. It's it's tough to get in. It's tough to, uh, to, to maintain the GPA you need to play at Vanderbilt. Uh, but we don't want to settle. We, we still want to compete. Uh, and then Mason comes out and he's like, well, you know, 
this just this is a down year, guys. It's like if I was an athlete and I heard a coach say that, I, I would be like, "What are you doing? What like, uh, the Taylor Twelman? I mean, what are we doing, right?" <laughs> um, and I just I, I don't get it, and uh, it just does not make any sense to me. And then the fans who who there there was a fan or two that came at me and was like, "Well, you know, the academic standards are so tough, so it's hard to get good recruits." Uh, and my response to that is, well, that sure is heck getting a problem for Tim Corbin, who's their baseball coach. Because guess what? Vanderbilt Vanderbilt Athletics has the best baseball program in NCAA baseball. In the entire country, Vanderbilt, on West End in Nashville, the very best program. And yet That's their a bold football take. program is a total and utter disaster. Well, they've won two national championships in the last four years. <laughs> Just kidding. I have, I have no idea about major league baseball. baseball. Expert I would, Will I would have no idea. Yeah, I would have well, no idea. Well, they've won two national championships in the last four or five years, so. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, that's okay, so, you know, I'm a Tennessee fan, but, like, not a like born and raised Tennessee fan. Like, yeah, I, I went to college there. I enjoyed it. I'm from Tennessee, but I'm not from anywhere near Knoxville. So like, I don't have that same weird attachment to it, but it's crazy to me that those two schools are like a hundred miles apart, basically. Like it's really like 180, but like, because it's football is so big in Knoxville and I understand there's different academics and all that, but all around Vanderbilt, there's so many other schools, specifically in the SEC, obviously, where it's like football is king. And even like if your academic standards are high or whatever, you make a really like hard effort to push and try to recruit kids and all that kind of stuff. But when James Franklin was there, this was not a problem. Like they got good players when Franklin was there that went on to the NFL and all that Stanford doesn't have any problem getting good players. So to be in this hotbed of football and like football talent and recruits that's getting better and better all the time, specifically in middle Tennessee, like, and to not be able to turn around the program with local talent or to be able to identify and recruit those guys. It's just, I mean, embarrassing. Yeah. To a, but and, it's know, like, s- someone responded to my, to my tweet where I was calling out Derek Mason and said, you know, well, what do you expect them to compete for a national championship every year? And and I didn't respond like this, but I should have. What I should have said was, and what I believe is, no, obviously, no one's expecting Vanderbilt to complete compete for a national championship. But what what we also should not get from them is negative two hundred and six scoring differential, and you lose to Florida fifty six to nothing. Like there's there's a common ground to be found between those two. Polar extremes, and what I'm saying is, if baseball, if Vanderbilt baseball can be a national contender year in and year out, and churning out players for Major League Baseball and winning two national championships in five years, then the football team can at least be competent and something that's worth fifteen or twenty dollars to go watch. Because I've not gone and watched a Vanderbilt football game in probably five or six years. And it's just because every time I, I, you know, I thought about going to watch Burrow when LSU was here, I'm like, I'm not going to pay $70 for a ticket to go watch a blowout. I'm like, I just don't care that much. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. I just, I, I don't know how you fix it if your athletic director is fine with being bad. Like, and if the school won't fire him. That so, may not be true, but that is the message he's sending. 
Well, I mean, it, it is true. I mean, okay, yeah. So, like, the, the message he's sending is that. But if the product on the field, like you said, like, is bad or, like, mediocre at best year in and year out, and you don't look like you have a promising future or, like, a really th- – because this is Vanderbilt's big year. Like, this is where they have the three NFL prospects that, like, all were projected to go higher than, you know, most uh, – maybe better than any class that Vanderbilt's ever had, just in terms of, like – where they were supposed to be selected and like how they came back for their senior year and all that. But I mean that none of like they've ruined those guys. I mean, they've pushed day two prospects all the way down to day three. Like you've got a coach actively making things worse. It's just, I mean, if you're the athletic director and you don't see that, that's just you saying it doesn't really matter what happens. Like we're just there to make money. Like, so that's, you know, that's that's where I am on that, and I'll, I'll kind of stop this so we don't get too far into <laughs> SEC football or maybe SEC baseball, which I would go to sleep on. Um, but, okay, so my stop the nonsense is from Clay Travis, who could have his own, you know, spot on this pod every week. But He had some uh, good takes on the Miles Garrett stuff, but but I know where you're going with this. And Yeah, he's, is, a, he's a volume shooter. Like, he, like he, does, <laughs> he says a lot of things, and sometimes they're right, but mostly not. Um, and so I, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but in talking about the Ravens game versus the Texans game this week, he said this quote, Deshaun Watson is the superior quarterback. He can actually drop back and use his arm to propel the football down the field in a positive direction. Unlike Lamar Jackson. So, um, couple of things in case you didn't see the Texans and Ravens game, the Ravens won 41 to seven. Uh, and Deshaun Watson had zero touchdowns and one interception and was sacked six times because he looked lost. Uh, so much so that they put in A.J. McCarron at the end of the game. Uh, then, uh, on the other side, Lamar Jackson was 17 of 24, which is okay, not great, but he had four passing touchdowns. And at no point did the Ravens ever look like they needed to pass the ball. Like, when they did, he was putting the ball in really good locations, sometimes a little high. But the point is that I don't know what this weird take is with Lamar Jackson where everybody thinks of him as just a runner. But Maybe because that's how he came out of college. But if you, you can say that, but if you go and look at him play at Louisville, he doesn't have a problem throwing passes. Like, he, he is a good quarterback. He's not Tim Tebow. Like, he's not a guy who has, you know, even Cam Newton was probably worse coming out as a passer than Lamar Jackson was. Like, he was just a guy who, you know, when in doubt, he was six foot six and he just ran over people. I mean, Lamar Jackson, you know, at times, especially earlier in his career when he was winning the Heisman, looked like he was skin and bones. I mean, it wasn't like he was a guy who was built to run the ball 20 times a game, but. You know, he didn't have to because he was so good with his arm, which is why it was weird that he fell so far. But, you know, lo and behold, now we're seeing him on a potential MVP candidate, you know, run. And Clay Travis, a week before one another great game from him, was talking about how he can't throw the football forward. Like, I just don't understand that take. Like, it just, to me, there's such a disconnect there that, I have to see what he's watching, if he's watching at all, that explains probably, to me why he he's not. That makes sense. He's yeah. not watching. <laughs> yeah, that's that's got to be it. I, I don't I don't understand how he. Especially a week after I know it was the Bengals, but he completed fifteen to seventeen passes through three touchdowns. I, I mean, I don't understand. I think people have this weird, like perspective 
of Lamar Jackson from last year. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the Chargers. Uh, no, was it the Chargers? No, it was a playoff game. I think it was a playoff game. Um, was it a playoff yeah, game? Yeah, it was, it was the Chargers. Yeah, it was the first oh, He was terrible playoffs. in the playoffs. He was. Oh, yeah, it was the Chargers. Yeah, yeah. He The first three quarters of that game, he could not complete a pass. It was it was simply awful. Uh, and then the fourth quarter, he actually played really well once they actually let him um, pass the ball consistently. Um, but this year... He's been amazing. He's like he's literally the MV, probably the MVP front runner right now. And well, it's he not, is according not to just, Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not even only because what he's doing with his legs, which is unbelievable. Him as a rusher. I mean, he has 19 touchdowns to five interceptions. He's completing 66 percent of his passes. Um, he's over eight yards per attempt. Like I don't, I don't know what I don't know if people aren't watching what he's been doing as a thrower this year. Uh, but I think there's been a weird like stigma put on him uh, from a lot of national media members, uh, particularly from last year. And it's like people just can't get it out of their heads. Yeah, I mean, he has he's passed for four more touchdowns twice this year, which is more than Deshaun Watson has. And he hadn't had a single game this year without a touchdown of some kind. And, it, you know, when you include rushing into it, just to talk about how good he is. But I mean. He's got four touchdowns, three touchdowns, three touchdowns, five touchdowns. I mean, he has longs of 51 yards, 49 yards, 50 yards, 39. I mean, he's 83 yards. It's not like he's a guy who's like, okay, I'm going to read option and just throw a quick slant if I can't run it. Like, I mean, he's running a functioning NFL offense. The only difference is that, you know, the way they've coached it up is they're not afraid to run their quarterback because they know that's part of his toolbox and they want to use that. Like, Weird. It's weird. It's such a weird thing. And, you know, everybody's already started talking about it. And, you know, we're all kind of a little late to it. But the the Greg Roman for head coach should be a movement that happens for every team that drafts in the top 10. Like Greg Roman and what he's done with bad quarterbacks as the offensive coordinator. I mean, what he's done with Robert Griffin and like how he's evolved Lamar Jackson's game and made game plans around to Robert as Robert Griffin before. Oh, that's sorry. That's weird. That's sorry. because I've Robert Griffin the third. Yeah, Robert. Yeah, got to put the third in there. <laughs> yeah, Robert Griffin three himself. Uh, yeah, so like, it, it is. It is weird to say that out loud now that I think about it. But yeah, like, it, they just, uh, they just all seem to thrive under him. So, I mean, I assume he'll be a head coaching candidate at least. But you know, if he's not this year, he's got to be next year. He just, he's been doing it forever, and he's you know, got a potential MVP quarterback under his belt now. Well, that's going to do it for us. Titans play the Jaguars on Sunday. I believe it is a late afternoon game, so keep that in mind. It'll start around three or so. Uh, the Matt Neely's family will be the uh, the honorary 12th Titans, so that should be, uh, should be pretty cool to see that. If you're going to the game, enjoy it. If you're watching on TV, enjoy it. We will be back next week to recap it. For Matthias and Will, I am Luke providing you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.